Welcome to the Broadcorp Report. I am the moderator, Todd Walker, with our distinguished hosts, Becky Allery and Michael Broadcorp. And yeah, there are, is some talk out there about this show maybe having a name change. It's been kind of fun to hear people call it the Allery Report. What was the other one, Becky? The Allery Cast. The Allery Cast. So we'd be interested in your comments. <laughs> if you want to just keep it at, uh, you know... Todd About Town, with uh, you two just kind of as rotating hosts. What's interesting is no one is offering a suggestion that expands on my name. It's all about dumping my name from the podcast, <laughs> which is just, I think, is, is an interesting little focus group. Well, I, if you have an idea for a name for the new and upcoming edition, uh, edition of the Broadcorp Report, we would love to hear what, what your thoughts are as well. So please, please let us know. Well, this week we have a great, great show lined up for you. We are going to talk about... Ilhan Omar and the recent news, uh, what's happened to her. We're going to talk about the spy balloon and, of course, the State of the Union, which is happening this week, and a very, very interesting email that came out from former governor candidate Jensen about raising some money. I have to tell you guys, I've read this email a number of times, and I still don't really, really understand it. We're also going to show, share with you some poll results that our wonderful host here, Michael Broadcorb, uh, found out, and uh, some of your comments. And then we have a great, great guest this week. It is State Representative John Kosnick. From from Lakeville, so we have a great interview from uh, him as well regarding some comments he made uh, in the Star in a recent Star Tribune. I'm I'm sorry, Pioneer Press story. Here comes the St. Paul kid uh, <laughs> talking about the Star Tribune. But yes, so we're going to be uh, discussing that as well. But to begin with, I'm very interested to hear what the two of you uh, want to say and some remarks that you might have on Ilhan Omar, member of Congress the Congressional 5th District, and uh, the recent removal of Ilhan Omar from the seat on the House Affairs Committee over her past controversial comments about Israel. She was voted out 218 to 211, strictly on party lines. So let's open this up for a little discussion. I've been very interested, uh, because this has been a top top story in some of her interviews. Wow, they were heated. So Becky, let's start with you. Yeah, you know, so this was, uh, oh, there I go, starting my comments with you know again. I, I swear we got to make this a, a drinking game for some of our listeners on how many comments I start with you know. Um, but one of our first episodes here, we did talk about talk about this. This was a promise by Kevin McCarthy when he was running for speaker that he pledged to remove Ilhan Omar from her committees should he um, become speaker. And he is fulfilling that promise. So this is something that, um, you know, over the last couple of years, Ilhan Omar had um, made a number of different comments um, uh, about the Jewish people, about um, Jewish donors, um, all about the Benjamins was one of the infamous ones. Um, and she kind of pulled the Biden here. She really uh, took the route that of, of pleading ignorance here, that she wasn't aware that these were um, anti-Semitic tropes, uh, that she wasn't aware that Jewish and money comment was inappropriate. Um, you know, I don't buy it. She's been here long enough. This is not, a, you know, something that I, I think. I think that she should have been aware from the, aware of this. Actions have consequences. Words have consequences. And sure, she has apologized. Um, but sitting on the House Foreign Affairs Committee, I think in particular, um, sends a poor message to to our friends around the world. And you know, uh, I personally believe Israel is one of our friends around the world. Do you agree with the decision to remove her from 
the Foreign Affairs Committee? I think so. Yeah, I, I think that, you know, yes, I don't think she has a good representative. Now, should she sit on zero committees? I don't know how I feel about that. But on that particular committee that is crafting legislation spe- spe- specific to our standing in the world, I think it is inappropriate. Um, I'm going to take a little bit of a different tact, a little bit of a different Ooh. trajectory. Uh, I support and understand why Republicans did it. It's a little bit of gamesmanship back and forth. Um, but let's let's set the table here a little bit. Representative Omar has apologized for her past comments. She there was a resolution against her in 2019 related to some of this stuff. So I'm not aware that anything new has happened. Mm-hmm. And okay. so this she served on this committee. What frustrates me is the Republicans I think set themselves up on this by allowing Representative Paul Gosar and Marjorie Taylor Greene to have committee assignments. I would argue that some of the comments from both of them are much more substantive and severe than anything and that, and that, that Ilhan Omar has said. Um, I understand the gamesmanship that goes on in Washington. I think that the Republicans could have had a little bit of a better standard had they not put, the, put uh, Margie Taylor Green and Gosar back on committees. Um, I think Ilhan Omar is a member of Congress. She served on the Foreign Affairs Committee. She will be back on the Foreign Affairs Committee. I think that what re- congressional Republicans have done has made a victim out of Ilhan Omar and, a, 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 unfortunately, a punching bag. Um, th- she will embrace this. She will come out of this process, I think, stronger. Um, her voice will be amplified. Her voice will be more serious. Um, and she will get more attention from this. Do I agree with everything she's said? No, I don't. I, I strongly disagree with what she said. But do I think she should be removed from a committee because of it? No, I don't. All right, Michael taking the stance wow. of now, Omar's This is not what I expected. Did, did, did you expect to hear this from I did Michael? Not, but I think it is a Omar fair point. Sympathizer. Wow. <laughs> now, look, if we go back and listen, if we go back to the podcast, I think I think you gave a much more definitive answer in our earlier show. Um, I was a little more, squ- uh, much Fair. more kind yep. of squishy about it, and and where I've come to the the point is, I just like there to be some consistency, and I think that Republicans would have a much better, much stronger, consistent argument. Again, Omar, this was debated by the now, and we should be clear for the Democrats that are listening, don't get too far ahead of yourselves. <laughs> they started this. I mean, they they were very critical. I think it was February of two thousand and nineteen where there was some resolutions and some votes in the House of Representatives related to her comments. So the Democrats, there's been a bipartisan effort here to scold Ilhan Omar for comments that have been deemed to be anti-Semitic and problematic, which I completely agree with. I completely agree with those descriptions. Becky, before you jump in, though, you asked Becky, should she have been removed? Let's ask you, Michael, should Ilhan Omar have been removed? No, I, I no, I don't think she should have been. I think that okay. the, the Republicans could have could have found a way to uh, voice their displeasure with her, mm-hmm. continue to uh, raise those concerns, but still have her on the committee. Because at the end of the day, uh, I still believe she's going to be back on the committee at some point uh, if the Democrats take control uh, or there's a, a different framework to it. Um, the Democrats, there's already been, uh, she's already been. Uh, criticized. There's been a resolution in the House dealing with this stuff. So there's been nothing new since that resolution passed in 2019. I think what happened here was what Kevin McCarthy was campaigning for for Speaker. Uh, he wanted to have some red meat that he could throw his activists sure. inside the inside the party. Ilhan Omar, uh, you know, attacking her, criticizing her the way that national Republicans do. Uh, they like to do that, and and I get that whole point. 
Um, but I think they could have had a more con- intellectually consistent argument had they handled some of their members better. Now, what about this? So, um, Democrats introduced a resolution at one point to strip Lauren Bolbert from her committee's assignments. Now, this was over a stupid, now, albeit very inappropriate, joke targeting uh, or, or against Omar. She had made a comment about uh, you know, Capitol Police running past her. She'd looked over, and there Ilhan Omar was there. Um, and, you know, thankfully she didn't have a, a bomb in her backpack or something to that effect. Now, super inappropriate, very stupid. Um, Omar, at that point, was on CNN with Jake Tapper and said, we should punish and sanction Bobart by stripping her of her committees, rebuking her language, and by doing everything we can to send a clear and decisive message to the American people that if the Republicans are not going to be adults and condone and and condemn this, that we are going to do that. So what do you think of that when she herself... Over a joke that a joke that was offensive to Omar and and the Muslim people for sure, very inappropriate, but not necessarily against an entire nation like Israel. Correct. Um, I would argue that, and I think this has been discussed that some of those other comments, Marjorie Taylor Greene and some of Boberts, were about attacks on a, a specific member of the of, of Congress. Mm-hmm. Uh, the argument that a lot of Democrats have made about why Marjorie Taylor Greene and others have made concerns about her being on, on committees and Bobar is because of s- specific lines that can be drawn related to the safety of members and attacks on them personally and using and, and using imagery of them uh, in you know clearly out of bounds way. Right. Th- these were comments made by by Omar. Um, she has explained her perspective on them. It's been adjudicated by the House. There was a resolution. I'm not aware that any more comments have been made. I don't, I, I'm frustrated by her excuse of not understanding this. There seems to be a lot of people, particularly on the Democratic side, when, when they get schooled mm-hmm. or they, this type of stuff comes up. They just plead that ignorance. They plead that ignorance. And so I, I'm challenged by that. But the reality is that do I think she should be removed from the Foreign Affairs Committee from it? No, I don't. I think that, that, that the, I think the smartest play, the smartest thing Republicans could have done would have been to keep her on the Foreign Affairs Committee, to continue to allow her to have a voice, to have there to be additional eyes and transparency on what she's saying, and, and prove whether she can be a part, a responsible part of the discussion on foreign policy as it's, as it's constructed through the House. I just have one more question then. So are you saying you are comfortable if Omar... So oh, we're both hitting our mics yep. here. Um, members of Congress often go to, to different um, trips across overseas and, and based on their committees, they meet or they travel around the country and meet with businesses. Would you be com- comfortable with Ilhan Omar and, and the, the world knowing what she had said on this, traveling to a nation who might not think that Israel is one of our allies or not think that Israel is a strength in, in the Middle East that we, some of us in here believe it is. Are you comfortable with her standing there as a uh, representative of the House Foreign Affairs Committee and as uh, our foreign policy, um, knowing that she might think very differently than a lot of, uh, of our members of Congress or our foreign policy stance? I have a difficult time believing that a, we're now third-term member of Congress from Minnesota who was a, who's a member of the House of Representatives has that much sway over the foreign policy of the United States. I have a very difficult time believing that Congresswoman Omar, as she espouses some of these views, uh, has so much sway over the direction and foreign policy of our country 
that the mere act of her speaking up, the mere act of her talking, is going to suddenly reframe our entire nation's focus oh. and relationship with, with, the, with, with Israel. I think we have a long-standing history with Israel. They remain one of our strongest foreign allies. We have a very strong relationship. If our relationship is so sensitive that a third-term, second-term freshman member of Congress can dissolve those relationships by her mere existence on the Foreign <laughs> Affairs Committee in the House, in the people's body, where we're supposed to debate and discuss and have differing views on foreign policy, we got real problems in the country. I don't necessarily think it's going to erode that relationship, but I was questioning more if a different uh, country or, or person, um, elected official in a different country might say, well, sh- Miss Omar believes what I believe. We believe that, you know, screw Israel. So I, I, this, is, this is my buddy here. Yep. So I can see your point. All right. Well, this is pretty interesting. I did not expect to uh, hear Wall's supporter, Michael Rotkorb, now become a Ilhan Omar supporter. But uh, interesting what you find out on the Broadcorp report. You got to listen to the show because you never know where Michael's going to go. All right. Let's change the topic a little bit here, change the tune. It was a very interesting week last week here in the United States with all the discussion about the spy balloon, which was actually finally shot down this past Saturday. And if I read correctly, now there's been two more spy balloons spotted over Latin America. Very interesting uh, developments with this and some very strong comments uh, from officials in China as well. So uh, let's start with you, Michael. What are your thoughts on the spy balloon being shot out of the air? And uh, did we act on this quickly enough? Um, I was critical. And we we should note the poll. I mean, we should start with the poll. Yes. At your suggestion, Todd. Uh, we did a poll this weekend. Uh, on I did a poll on social media. We, we, we were discussing it. And we had uh, uh, roughly 307 votes. I kind of shut the poll down a little earlier because uh, there was a development. in it. But the poll was basically, um, what do you think the U.S. should do about the spy balloon? And it was the options were shoot it down, let it float away. Shoot it down, I got uh, 71% of the vote. Uh, only 28% said let it float away. Um, when I... When I heard about the balloon and the fact that it was flying over Montana, my first reaction was to say, we should shoot this down. We shouldn't allow this to happen over the United States. Um, again, I'm not in the military. Uh, I don't have experience with uh, artillery shooting things down. Uh, and, and, and through the course of the week, um, it, it, it was clear that the discussion, there had been a lot of smart, smarter people than me discussing taking it down. And the belief was, if I understand this correctly, that... Uh, in fact, Joe Biden had, had requested it to be shot down right away. The belief was, because it was effectively the size of multiple school buses, that uh, disintegrating it or shooting it down over the ocean was safer both for Americans on the ground and for retrieving the payload that was in the spy balloon. Yeah, that did make sense. I mean, this yes. it, it spanned seven miles in the ocean. I, I can't imagine how large this was. Yeah. The size of three Greyhound buses is what I read. So, I mean, that is substantial. You, now, when you first heard about the spy balloon, what were your thoughts? Oh, absolutely. I was like, get it out of there. I mean, it's, I mean, we have read reports that say that it did fly over numerous military bases that, um, you know, who knows? I, I can't imagine there was just, you know... Uh, equipment in there that was just gathering information and not feeding it back right away. So, so yes, we they shot it down. So grateful that they did that. We'll get that information, learn more about it. 
Um, but it is going to be interesting to see if anything, you know, what they what they find out it did record. I mean, do we do we buy that this was a weather? Well, do we balloon? do we also buy that the balloon uh, had in their quotes that were seriously deviated from its planned course and entered the skies of both now Latin America and the Caribbean by mistake? And they said that at the United States. I mean, that what a lame. I mean, excuse. should that have been the case? I, I would think that they would be the first ones calling up. You know the. United States and, and saying that this happened. From what I gather, it, it that's not how it went down. That it was discovered. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just kind of wild. It, it it was very interesting to watch as as it went on, and it, it seemed to break down partisan lines. Um, a number of people. There were a number of people out there who expressed frustration that it was that it was flying over the United States. Um, I think Biden, um, you know, took a little bit of a hit. For the, the the lack of response immediately, I understand. Um, again, not been in the military or a lot of uh, aerial experience and shooting things down from the air, but I understand the, the the concept of if it was it's over, you know, ground versus the water, getting it down. I think it was. It really, I think, a little bit kind of emasculated the United States. It was kind of just bizarre how I think the reaction was. Um, it, it became. It was really. I think it, it divided people on social media. I think it was. I had lunch with an area dad uh, on uh, Friday, and we were discussing it. You know, different different backgrounds. Uh, we both were universally of the agreement. It's got to get taken down. It was a, a sense of pride um, that it should be taken down. And but don't so, you think it was held that it was handled responsibly? Now that we know about what it could have, what could have happened if it was shot over like a major city. I mean, only time will tell, right? I, I mean, yes, that does seem, in hindsight, good that it wasn't shot down and, and hurting people on the ground. We know what they gathered when they flew over potentially three military sites. That is, is you know, I, I think going to be interesting. One thing that I was, you know, we talk a lot about give Republicans a really hard time about lack of message, uh, messaging and taking up. You know, McCarthy had a great tweet on this. Uh, first, Biden refused to defend our borders. Now he won't defend our skies. I mean, that sounds like a win right there, right? I mean, red meat. You putting this out, I think you you saying it, emasculating the United States is a really good way of putting it. I mean, there's nothing that we could do. We couldn't put something up there to like bring it down gently. We couldn't put, you know throw a net over it. I mean, I, I I'm being silly, but you know there there seems to it like. So are we saying that in the future, should one of these happen, if they they now were effectively able to have a balloon over our country for four or five days? Um, what's going to happen the next time? Do we do we again just let them go and gather whatever they want to gather? Well, it appears from reports this has happened before. It appears it has happened before. Now, for some reason, I, I don't know the exact reason as to why this particular balloon got so much attention because it appears based on some reports initially that this has happened before. And as you pointed out, Todd, there are other examples of this going on currently right now. Um, it doesn't seem to be a very sophisticated way to get to gather intelligence again um i'm not in the intelligence gathering business in terms of aerial balloons uh but um it's i think it really is an interesting discussion and i think it really was a very interesting weekend just in terms of how partisans viewed this and how people viewed this logically i think what the biden administration did made sense they waited for it to be out of american airspace they shot it down that being said, it was frustrating that it was flying overhead. 
Uh, if it had flown over Minnesota, I probably would have got a, a slingshot. Of, I would have got my my Daisy slingshot rocket out of the garage and probably would have tried to take it down. But it it, it was. I do understand the logic, and so uh, surprisingly. Thumbs up to the Biden administration for the way they handled it. All right, no, final what, comments, Becky? Yeah, one more. I mean, you said it was. you don't think it was very sophisticated. I mean, what? Do, maybe that's what they want us to believe. Maybe yep. this is like the Trojan horse, that it's just, it's just you know, a white little balloon that looks like nothing. Um, so, you know, keeps our guard down. And not saying that it's like a bomb or anything of that sort, but maybe it is, you know, inside there looks like some Mars rover or some crazy... You know, intellectual technology, a uh, piece of technology yeah. that um, is, is gathering all our Yeah, I'm, I'm more on uh, your team there, Becky. I, I feel like they're gathering the information, and it is going right back to intelligence in China yeah. immediately. So we take it down. I'm not sure that we really uh, saved any information they would have gathered. All right, let's move on here. This is the week of the State of the Union Address. This will be happening uh, on Tuesday night. And uh, next week, we'll talk about what was gathered from the State of the Union, what we learned. But I'd like to hear from both of you today. Uh, what are you expecting? And what are your expectations from the State, uh, State of the Union from uh, President Biden? I think that um, his performance is going to be almost as important as what he says. I think that people are looking to see if he is cognitively there, to see if he is um, articulate, how much he depends on the teleprompter, if he stumbles. Um, You know, right now we're kind of, you know, guesses are that he is kind of going to be laying the groundwork for his announcement that he is running for a second term. Um, He's 80 years old right now, which means that he will be 82 uh, the next time of the presidential election or slightly after. I think his birthday is after the election, Um, which means he would be ending his second term should he be as lucky when he's 86. So, I mean, age is a big thing. Mental capacity is a big thing right now. Um, But in terms of overall substance, I think that he is going to try to be optimistic. I think he's going to be pledging unity. I think he is going to be touting his efforts and um, uh, his efforts of, of being successful on what he has been successful, you know, potentially even claiming the economy is going better. Um, while I think that a lot of Minnesota families and families across the country are not quite feeling that way and probably doing a little fear mongering, um, probably targeting some of the MAGA Trump supporter right wing part of the Republican Party. That's Michael, what- um, this is the, a de facto campaign speech. Biden. I mean, this is how it's going to be viewed through the lens of the, the, the presidential campaign. I think you were spot on in, in, in noting how he says it and what he says. I think people will be looking at, as you pointed out, he'll be 82 years old uh, when the presidential reelection comes around. He will be the old he is right now, the oldest presidential candidate. Um, I remember, remember rephrase it, the oldest president we've had. He'll be, if, if he seeks reelection, which he's announced, he there's been you know, laying the groundwork that he will, he will clearly be the oldest presidential candidate, uh, probably to be nominated on on the on, from either party in modern times. So, how he what he says and how he says it, I'm curious what the breakdown will be. Um, I know I will be focused on how he says it. I'm going to be looking for vigor, passion, um, his ability to deliver a forceful message. I think that's what Americans expect from their commanders in chief and can he deliver that i also think he is going to come into a unique situation in a sense that it's going to be a divided congress and so what is his approach going to be with republicans 
if I believe, as I do, that it's going more of a campaign speech, it means he's going to have to draw some contrast. He's going to have to throw some fire out there. Um, but I think what's most important in this speech is how he delivers it versus what he necessarily says. Okay. Because if we're left with the, the feeling that he's not up to the job of being the president, and this is one of the, the largest acts that a president can do, standing up and delivering a State of the Union to, to both houses of Congress. He's on national display, and, and uh, his reelection efforts will take a serious hit if the American people think he's not up to the job. Well, I can assure you that the Broadcorp Report will be giving uh, the analysis on the next edition of the Broadcorp Report, so I'll be interested to see how uh, both of you feel about his delivery, most importantly, I think. All right, well, let's move on to something that I, I don't even know how to set this up. Uh, I've, I've read this email that, uh, that Dr. Scott Jensen, former Republican candidate for governor and Minnesota family doctor, as he signs off on his emails, uh, sent out saying that the headline that I have here is Keith Ellison's trying to take my medical license. I would love to uh, have you guys try to explain to me what is in this email. He's trying to raise money, 15, 25, 55, or more, he puts in there. So I guess my... Uh, my table topic here is throwing it out. What's the money for? Please help me understand the email. Take it away. I think there's a lot of questions as to what's going on in this email. Number one, um, as we know from the campaign, Scott Jensen is on the fringe of the medical community. Uh, over the last number of years, he has had problems. He has, he has endured and been the subject of multiple complaints against his medical license. Um, he dis- he self-disclosed obviously to gain some political traction and to be a martyr and to generate some sympathy, he self-disclosed that he's, there's another complaint that he's uh, being subjected to. My understanding is this, camp, this complaint was filed and he was dealing with it while he was running for governor. So it's a well over 15 some months old. Um, but he self-disclosed this. Uh, the politics behind of why I think he did it and why he sent the email is because he's trying to capitalize and bring as much attention as he can to himself to be a potential candidate for statewide office. He is orchestrating, he's, he's orchestrating the, the public announcement of these documents in a way in which to maximize the political opportunity to him. So Republican activists and, and people in the community that are susceptible to his charms will think of him as a martyr. And so he can continue the possibility of potentially running for statewide office again. I cannot begin to tell you from a number standpoint how terrible of a candidate Scott Jensen was uh, to Republicans. I believe he is the main reason why Democrats have the trifecta that they currently have. He underperformed what all expectations were for a candidate. Um, and, his, and his recent attempts to get new attention through this complaint, I think it is all an attempt by Scott Jensen to be a martyr so he can be considered, can continue to have some time in the sun and consider running for statewide office again, which would be an absolute train wreck. Becky, your comments. Yeah, I'm curious, Michael, to get your insight. You have a little bit more maybe knowledge around some of the specifics of what 
campaign committees can actually do. So this is signed, paid for by Dr. Scott Jensen for governor. He says in there that he, I need your help to continue this fight, uplift candidates who will continue the fight and hold rallies to oppose such political overreach. Now, his website now is just purely read the documents. I mean, this this actual filing is is linked right there on his and his gubernatorial website. I mean, can he do that? Is that a fair use of dollars being gathered under a campaign committee? Did he have to renew this campaign committee? He did not. So there are a number of statewide candidates who um, did not, who dissolved their committees after they lost. Ryan Wilson, for example, candidate for state offer, did not renew his committee. Scott Jensen's committee is still active. So he is using this filing against him as a way to contribute to his, his gubernatorial campaign. Although he signs his email that Todd referenced uh, as a former candidate, it's going, it's the, the disclaimer on it is to an active campaign committee. Um, there are a number of questions about this email. Number one, in the email he talks about dispersing some of the money and sending it to other people. The only way he can do that if his campaign committee is dissolving. So if someone is raising, someone is giving money to Scott Jensen's campaign, thinking it's going to be sent around to other candidates, that's not legally per- permissible for him to do. The other thing is, I don't know is as I read the email, it appears that he may be using some of his campaign money to pay for this complaint. I don't believe that this complaint that was filed against him is was is a complete genesis of him running for office. Um, he has a responsibility to pay for this uh, through his, his his insurance through other ways. But if he's fundraising to do this to pay for this complaint, I think it's I think it's misguided. I do think that because of his email. I think that the campaign finance board, let me say this, I know that the campaign finance board is aware and has been sent a copy of Jensen's email. If there is a problem or a deficiency in his email, I do believe that the campaign finance board will act on that because I do think it raises a number of questions. What I do find so interesting about this, about the documents that Scott Jensen released, aside from him trying to be the political martyr, is how he framed them up. He framed them up largely as a speech issue. It's about his political views, his comments. If you look at the documents that he actually released, Scott Jensen, um, some of the things that he's being investigated for were that his, red, his medical record documentation was often ineligible, um, couldn't read what he was saying. And he did not document the rationale for treating patients with specific medications. It has nothing to do with his political positions. It had nothing to do with his speech. It appears that Scott Jensen, based on the allegations in the, this report, or the, the complaint that was filed against him. He's being investigated for sloppy paperwork, not keeping records. That has nothing to do with his political speech. And so it'll be very curious to see what happens. I think what Scott Jensen is attempting to do again is to, is to politicize the own com- his own complaint against him. He's accusing everyone else of mm-hmm. politicizing his medical practice and what he's doing. There could be no better example of Scott Jensen politicizing uh, this process than by him going out and raising money for his gubernatorial campaign about his complaint. So he doesn't get to complain anymore about the process being political. What my final point will be is that what concerns me is about this is there's precious dollars for Republicans to raise money in this state. And if anyone is donating to this charlatan, to this quack in any way, shape or form, it's a, that's what he should, that's a huge problem. He is taking away precious resources from Republicans, from Republican campaigns, Republican efforts by donating to his campaign Ponzi scheme. And it's just a shame and he needs to go away and no one should give to this effort whatsoever. 
I mean, I don't know that I can top that. I think that's a, a great way to end. I guess I will just say, do you think that fellow Republicans that feel a little misguided with him as at the top of the ticket this last time around, do you think they will go to him and say, we need you to back off, get out of here, stop being a messenger? Or do you think he is going to be around for a while? I don't think he's going anywhere. I think that for Republicans, Scott Jensen, for if, if he was an introspective person, he would have looked at the election results and how his campaign disintegrated in just a magnificent way on election day and realize he is not the right messenger for Republicans in the state, nor are Minnesotans interested in investing in his brand. But he took that, the remnants of that explosion, and he's continuing to going on. So I think there's something missing upstairs in how he sees the political landscape. And I think the best thing that Republicans can do is not supportive of his efforts to call him out on this type of activity and, and recognize in, in a thoughtful, detailed way, how much of a catastrophic electoral electoral damage he caused the Republican Party this past election cycle and why he needs to go away. Do either of you uh, think Mike, Matt Burke is talking to him about this? And have you heard any comments from Matt Burke? I have not. I mean, from what I gathered prior to this, I, I had actually heard that Jensen uh, was, was blaming Burke, was blaming his team for a lot of their missteps. It seemed as though he was a little remorseful that he didn't perform how he wanted to perform and didn't conduct his campaign the way he wanted to. Um, this leads me to believe none of that is true, and he's, he's just doubling down on the Jensen we saw on the campaign trail. Um, but I, I, I don't know that Burke has anything to do so with So there's some dissidence between the two of them? I mean, rumor on the street. I can only hope that there is. Uh, I think that the the fusion of of Scott Jensen and Matt Burke will go down in history as as the worst uh, political campaign that's ever been endorsed by a a, a major party in the state uh, ever. All right. Well, I have to say that if you have not read the email yet, it's out there in many different uh, uh, many different forms and uh, different political analysts. So go out there and, and read it and see what you think for yourself. And uh, please share your comments with us as well. We'd like to welcome this week's guest on the Broadcorp Report, Representative John Kosnick from Lakeville was elected in 2014, and we have him on this week because we were pretty interested in some comments he made in the Pioneer Press regarding the speed in which some of the bills are going through in this legislative session. So, Becky and Michael, so I think you have some questions for John. Yeah, hi, Representative. Thanks for joining us today. Good afternoon. Good to be with you. Yeah. And uh, I, always, I always enjoy being on the Ellery cast, but hey. I know there's going to be a name change. So is it going to be Todd's talk, or <laughs> we're, 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 we're discussing? Uh, probably in the next few weeks, we're discussing some options, but uh, but we're looking forward to it. And that's a great suggestion, the Allery cast. There you go. Hey, I will take it. Thanks for the suggestion, Representative. And hey, I, I, I promise I'm not paying anybody to be on my side here. Um, well, it's, it's easy to. Uh, Throw Michael under the bus. That's, that's, there's a growing <laughs> theme that, that that's it, that, that, that people are looking for me to be off-branded, which is great. Hey, as long as we have listeners. so. <laughs> well, Representative, you know, obviously things are a little bit different up at the legislative, or at legislature than we expected them to be. Um, with the DFL trifecta, um, things seem to be moving very fast from an out, outside perspective. But give us a little insight of, of what's going on there. You know, we did have Representative Niska on last week. Um, he kind of decried the speed that was going on. But um, Speaker Hortman had said, 
well, only four four bills have gotten to the, to the governor's desk. We're not going that fast. So tell us what's really going on and, and why um, maybe there's a differing of, of opinions here. Well, I think there's a couple things going on. Certainly some consequential bills are moving quickly through the legislative process, and that is the majority's prerogative. What also is happening is more to the committee work and the lack of process or good process and that's where I got a little frustrated and because I think that's where we do our best work, whether you're in the majority or the minority. When you introduce a bill and you go through the committee process, it's an opportunity for your peers to ask questions, make suggestions, for the authors to help understand what's all encompassed in the bill. And specifically in the state government finance committee that I serve on, that has been lacking for sure. Probably one of the most contentious committees uh, that we have up here. And it's simply because of the way that um, the process is, is kind of running over the minority. And certainly the bills that we're passing, uh, we know they have the votes to pass at the end of the day. We understand that. But it's not a good practice for the institution to trample over customs usage and the way that we've traditionally done things to make bills better. Yeah, you know, along those lines of the committee, um, I had heard recently that there, to, so far this session, have been zero conference committees, that these bills, uh, supposedly Democrats are just agreeing on what's going on. So is is this getting a valid, are these bills getting a valid vetting process here, or are they just flying through and everybody's just honky-dory? I, I would argue that there isn't uh, a good faith effort to assess the consequences of all the bills that are coming through uh, by not taking very much debate, uh, not taking much input, not even from the minority Republican members, but from the public and the interest groups in these committees. And the last Tuesday or whatever it was for the state government finance committee, we were dealing with issues on the cannabis bill. And I don't know, I, I don't support the cannabis bill, but that's, not what the issue is. The issue is is that there's no good discussion, thought, answers coming back. And so the League of Minnesota Cities, the Association of Counties, they each got barely 90 seconds to raise their concerns. There was no discussion back and forth. I asked them at one point to if they could chime into uh, an amendment that we were discussing, and that was usually okay in most committees in the past this year they said no we don't have time and just voted down the amendments and that they only got 90 seconds uh, that's not a great way to make sure that your bill has no unintended consequences and it's crafted in a way that will benefit minnesota make minnesota better representative this is michael um a question is the dfl from your perspective coming in um uh, in and this is is I mean obviously these bills are passing with uh, with in in large sense uh, they're split on a bipartisan basis meaning there's Republicans are voting for or sorry Republicans are voting against Democrats are voting for is it your sense that they're coming into the committee process organized and wanting to move it an efficient way through these bills with um, do you notice their members 
uh, being less less talkative or less engaged? Uh, are they interested in just um, you know offering less commentary? Do you see any, do you see any efforts on the Democrat side to prolonging these hearings? Or the, the guess what I'm trying to figure out is 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 it your sense that they've clearly whipped these votes in advance? They've gotten the discussion out of the way. So when it comes to the pretty committee process, even some of the Democrat members are standing down on on where they would have discussion because they simply just want to move these bills out of the committee. There are so many new members up here, Michael, that I doubt. Uh, a lot of the newer members, and it's very difficult for the uh, veteran members to fully understand uh, all the intricacies of the bills. And I think they're just being told, "Don't, don't say anything. Just keep the seat warm. Uh, we'll pass it through. We got you covered." And I think as the legislative session progresses, uh, you know, they didn't come up here, neither did our freshmen, to be silenced and not heard. And so I, I, I would watch to, to see when when that rift and starts to happen that there's a little pushback from the rank and file members to tell their leadership hey wait a minute somebody in my district has a concern about this or i'm not sure how this works why are you just jamming me and telling me to vote yes or no without being able to work it out could you could you kind of explain to the listeners as to from a transparency standpoint the lack of discussion the lack of debate the lack of thoroughness from your perspective that's going on in the committee what is how is is the public being harmed from that? Uh, what what are they missing out? What's the, what's the what's the lack of transparency that they're getting in the process from your perspective? Well, when a bill is brought forward to a committee, members are have the opportunity to ask questions or even offer amendments to the bill that may improve the bill or, or make a point. Um, and so we were given like three minutes per amendment uh, for discussion. Introduce the. the introduce the amendment, talk about the idea, have discussion, and then vote. And that's simply not an, uh, a realistic amount of time to talk about an issue or an idea on a particular provision. And then the public also gets to weigh in on the bill uh, for public testimony is usually part of the process in some of these larger bills. Uh, and, and they did this a little bit more on House File 1, their abortion bill, on the cannabis bill, uh, they take a little bit of public testimony and then rush people off. Uh, but at the last week's committee, it was very, very extremely limited. We suggest that just let the public testimony go through. We'll come back at nighttime after all the normal committee times uh, and then do the amendments, which we've done a lot of times in previous sessions. And so the the public isn't being considered that well in their public testimony or uh, being voiced through their legislators to have the amendments and ideas brought forward when the discussion is is very, very limited. You know, with some of these bills maybe not being, uh, having that, you know, negotiation and, and discussion, do you think that that's going to mean in two years, perhaps, or even maybe even next session that we'll have to revisit these some of these and, and rework some of these new laws that are being enacted? Well, we try to get, a, get the policy ideas the best we can when when we pass them at least that should be the goal and oftentimes we do have to come back because we call them unintended consequences uh some provision of it wasn't fully vetted or thought through or or a different wrinkle came up and then we do come back and and have to revise things but it's better to get it done and fleshed out especially with very consequential bills that affect the culture and the daily life of of minnesotans to try to get those ideas 
uh, right the first time. Representative, um, one of the things I think is going to be surprising to, to the, the, the listeners, and, and uh, although most of our listeners are, are, are sophisticated politically, is the closeness of the legislature. I mean, there's a one-seat majority in the Senate. The Democrats, I believe, have it's 70 to 64. Mm-hmm. So they have a three-seat majority uh, three-seat majority in the House. And we're talking about 160 voters. I mean, I think I've seen the calculation on social media that roughly 320 votes is what brought the DFL this trifecta there. From your perspective, Representative, and, and I appreciate you being here today, and our final question today is, do you think what the DFL is proposing and what they're passing, do you think that they were transparent with Minnesotans about that agenda? Well, I think as we've seen some of the just basic common sense amendments that we've offered to make these bills that we probably wouldn't support otherwise, uh, but to try to make them better because they do have consequences, uh, that they haven't been willing to work with us, to collaborate, to compromise. Uh, that's their choice. I get that. They have the votes, but I don't think it serves Minnesota well. And over the weekend, I kind of heard um, a, a saying that if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to endure, go together. And Meaning right now they're just going on their own. You know, the speaker's been quoted as LFG or let's freaking go. But to Becky's question earlier, if we want to make sure that the policy, that we get it the best we can and not have to come back and correct some stuff, it would best serve Minnesotans if we slowed down a little bit, especially on these big bills, and made sure they were well thought out that ideas from every corner of the state are taken in, into consideration and they they can manipulate the process so they become their ideas and, and in the end I guess I'm fine with that as long as the bills better serve Minnesotans which right now I think Minnesotans are, are a little shell-shocked at the extreme nature of the bills coming through and not being having lacking a lot of common sense and compromise. Well, Representative, we appreciate you being with here, us here today. You have you obviously represent the, the Lakeville and the legislature. Where can our listeners follow you uh, on social media or other platforms to, to hear more about what you're talking about? Well, I'm on, at Twitter. I'm at John Cosmic. My name's spelled out. Uh, Facebook. I have a, an official representative John Cosmic page and a campaign page John Cosmic for House. Um, so, kind of out there a little bit. Uh, not a huge. Um, producer of social media content, but I try to keep my constituents informed. I appreciate people uh, that do reach out to me, and uh, we've been bombarded with emails and, and stuff uh, lately, but uh, working working hard to make sure that their voices are heard. Well, we appreciate you being here with us today on the Allery Cast, and we, and we hope that we can have you again. Uh, we were respectful with your time, and we hope you can have you back on uh, later in the legislative session to give us more updates, sir. Would that be okay? Yeah, that'd be great. I appreciate it any time. I actually uh, was excited to hear that Becky's parents live in Ramsey. I grew up out there. Oh, yeah. But I also, uh, I lived in Egan for a little bit, Michael, so I'm not sure where my allegiances lie around here. Well, you, you named, you gave the suggestion on the name of the show, so I think our listeners know where your allegiances are, which I'm completely <laughs> fine with. That's good. It's good to know, sir. As long as you're willing to come on, that's great. We appreciate you coming on today, okay, sir? Thank you very much. Appreciate your efforts. Keep up the good work. Thank, Thank you, you so much. Thank you. Becky, that was a good discussion with Representative Kosnick. I think that he's, we've noticed a theme that is developing. Um, I think you and I have expressed some frustration with the Republican messaging, but it appears and it seems that there's been some consistency on this message that 
uh, from their perception, Democrats are moving too fast, moving with haste. Uh, they're not moving in a thoughtful way and that uh, it's going to hurt Minnesotans in the long run. What was your take? I mean, absolutely the same. I've, I've heard it from some lobbyist friends. I've heard it now. We've heard it now from a, a number of, of members of the state legislature. And it seems um, the Democrats are trying to say, you know, they're not because only four bills have gotten to the governor's desk. Um, but it's it's all about the bills going through committees, coming off the floors. Um, and it seems it's being done very quickly. I was very surprised to hear even some of the Democrat or, or liberal friendly groups that Kosnick mentioned um, not getting valid time in committee. Um, you know, I am anxious and nervous what, what this means for some of these legislation pieces of legislation if they're short-sighted um, and what what will come from this. And, and I hope they're being thoughtful. I, I wish there was a little bit more insight from Republicans and voices, whether that's just friendly amendments. I mean, they literally call them friendly amendments on the floor. Um, it'd, be, it'd be great to have some more of that uh, coming down the pipe. So hopefully we'll, we'll see that soon, but I'm not overly optimistic there. All right, let's move on to the tweet of the week. Let's start with you, Becky. What do you have for your tweet this week? Let's hope it's a little bit more upbeat than last week's tweet of the week. <laughs> um, so mine is uh, was a tweet that was in response to the poll, um, and it was one prior to the, the, the balloon being shot down, and somebody, uh, Mr. Kilowatt, replied and said, George Santos has a ton of experience shooting down red zeppelins. Let him have a go at it. <laughs> That's good. That's, That's good, good work. Uh, I'm going to give a shout-out to my friend Jeff Kolb, the Honorable Jeff Kolb, former member of the Crystal City Council, one of my, my favorite followers on Twitter, someone who I enjoy greatly. Jeff and uh, is, is going to be a guest hopefully one day on the show. He and I actually um, became friends because of his disagreement with the tweet that I had sent out. Um, but, but Jeff... Uh, Retweeted, uh, retweeted me actually discussing our interview with with Rep uh, Representative Harry Niska. Uh, we noted that he came out fiery, and Jeff retweeted and said, "Give him hell, Harry." A famous reference to uh, uh, what commentary there was about Harry Truman. And so Jeff at at, at JP Kolb is a great follower on Twitter for for insight, great politics, uh, politics Follow. commentary. Uh, and if you're the, the general kind of get off my lawn philosophy, I came to the realization a couple of weeks ago that Jeff is basically Archie Bunker and he's Archie Bunker on Twitter. And uh, he's a great follow, a good friend, and uh, I appreciate, as always, his constructive criticism towards me. How All much right, so, did he pay you for that? He does not. He'll be surprised <laughs> that I'll say this. All right. So speaking of uh, following, where can people follow the two of you and share any comments, any suggestions for upcoming shows, any suggestions for guests or for the name of this podcast? I'm on I, at Allery RL. It's A-L-E-R-Y-R-L on Twitter. And I'm at at M Broadcorp. Uh, all right. Twitter. Well, thanks for joining us this week on the Broadcorp Report. And as I said, we will be giving a, uh, you know, just a reflection to the State of the Union next week. And of course, we're going to be talking about all the most recent uh, stories in the news. And we're going to touch on some of these candidates that are throwing their hat in the ring for president. So once again, thank you. And give us a thumbs up on wherever you listen to your podcast.